hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had the incredible opportunity to hang out with Jeremy from the band The Devil Wears Prada over Zoom video. Jeremy was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, and he talks about how he got into music. It's funny because I was almost born in Dayton, Ohio. My mom was nine, eight or nine months pregnant with me when she moved to San Diego. So <laughs> he told me I, I hit the lottery, but I don't know. But it was really cool to hear Jeremy's story, how he got into music, started playing guitar at an early age. His dad is a guitar player, so he showed him some chords, told him he had to learn acoustic guitar before he was able to get an electric, he had to play that for a little while. Finally got the electric guitar, talked about playing in bands with his brother and his cousin, his brother's drummer. We learned about how he ended up linking up with the other guys in Devil Wears Prada and joining their band and why he missed that first show. There's stuff on the internet that says he joined the band after the first show. He was actually in the band before the first show, but he couldn't make the first show for a pretty, pretty amazing reason. So he'll tell you about that. He talks about the big milestones for the band, where they were when COVID happened, this huge tour they're about to do for Zombie and Zill, those EPs, and all about the new record, which is called Color Decay. You can watch our interview with Jeremy on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with The Devil Wears Prada. Hey, what's up? What's up, Jeremy? How are you, man? I'm so good. How are you? I am fantastic. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah no worries. Sorry, my I'm, I just moved into a new house a little bit ago, so I'm still kind of getting set up. <laughs> oh, all good. Is that, what is that in the middle of the room there? It looks like a pole. Yeah, it, this is in my basement, so oh. <laughs> we're 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 gonna we're gonna redo this space down here. But for now, it's it's just chilling. <laughs> That's cool, <laughs> rad man. Well, my name is Adam, and uh, this is a podcast about you and your journey in music. And obviously, we'll talk about the new uh, record. Cool, awesome, sweet. Um, so first off, I, are you born and raised in Dayton, Ohio? Uh, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I lived there until I was like 21 or 22, something like that. So, okay. What's crazy is when I saw that, um, my mom was nine months pregnant with me and my dad, they both lived in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, my dad worked for a company called NCR. I don't even know if it's still there. Yeah. National cash register. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think they're in Atlanta now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it used to be in Dayton. He worked there. And they offered, uh, they opened an office in San Diego in California and they're like, who wants to go? And my dad had no idea where San Diego was. He looked on the map. He's like, well, that's on the coast and far from, from <laughs> let's go for it. And so they moved to San Diego and my mom was nine months pregnant. So I was born and raised in San Diego, but I was you like, this close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> close to being raised in, in Dayton, Ohio. It would have been a very different outcome. Trust me. All we wanted to do is get out of there and get to the coast. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it like growing up there? Um, it was cool, you know, boring. Like I literally had a cornfield behind my house and stuff like that. So, um, I think like everyone always asks me like, why is all these bands coming out of there? I'm like, there's yeah. literally nothing else to do, man. There's nothing <laughs> else to do. So. But there's a lot of talent. I mean, there's nothing yeah. else to do in so many other places in the world. 
but you guys are breeding amazing musicians there. Yeah, I think we had a good local community across like, you know, where we were at in Dayton and Columbus and stuff like that. There was a bunch of cool people that all were just trying to help each other out. So that kind of helped too. Like Caleb, Caleb Shomo from Barrett he actually got me this shirt, but uh, those guys were like right down the road. Yeah. And you're touring with them coming up, aren't you? We just did. So we just got off tour with them um, over the last month. So yeah. And you're, are you doing a tour in August? Or yeah, we're sure. doing a, okay. it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's for both of our zombie EPs. We're going to play both of those. So. Oh, cool. Okay. Very cool. That's rad. So uh, you just got off tour with Beartooth, but they're, yeah, I knew they're from Dayton as well. And I just interviewed another band that had some tie to, to Dayton. I can't recall off the top of my head, but yeah, a lot of uh, talent coming out of there. Hawthorne, Hawthorne Heights. That was the big one when we were growing up. Those guys were from there. E- so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It wasn't them, but I, I do remember that as well. Cool. <laughs> so a lot of music. Were you born and raised in a musical household at all? Yeah, my dad was very into, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and, and Super Tramp and all that kind of stuff. So he, he plays keyboards. He's like a really good keyboard player. And he kind of fiddled around with the guitar. So I, I guess I got a guitar pretty young, like 10 or 11, something like that. So was it something it was you asked for or was your dad like, oh, you should pick this up? Maybe both my grand my grandpa also played like bluegrass guitar. So oh, cool. You know, it just was a normal part of life <laughs> to be holding one and you know playing around and stuff. So, but I did. I, he did make me get an acoustic for like a year when I was like ten to learn, you know, <laughs> fundamentals and stuff like that. So, sure. were you listening to heavier music at that time or no? Um, I guess I kind of got into stuff with like corn and mm-hmm. uh Limbiscuit and Blink 182, just rock radio stuff, pretty sure. much. And so you were um, looking for the distortion, and and oh, yeah, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I need to be playing this corn stuff. I don't know if the acoustics gonna get us there, man. <laughs> sure, <laughs> did your dad teach you guitar uh, chords or anything like that, or did you take lessons? Yeah, I did, I did take lessons, I took a few years of lessons, which. I, when we first started Prada, I didn't really see a huge connection there because it, it was so different than what mm-hmm. we were doing. But now as time has gone on, there's a lot of fundamentals I picked up from there that I'm like, I'm glad I did that stuff. Like theory wise or? No, I'm really bad with theory, but maybe just like fundamentals of like how to use your hands and stuff like oh, that. Oh, sure. You know? Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And did you uh, like from learning guitar, were you writing songs early on? Uh, did you join a band? pretty quickly or where were you at yeah my my little brother uh is a drummer and then my cousin was a guitar player and so we kind of always had bands since we were like kids you know teenagers and we would play birthday parties and stuff so i was i think almost everybody in the devil wars prada was in another band locally when we started this one it was just kind of like nobody was doing this exact type of stuff. And all of us were in these other bands and kind of came into this one. But I think literally everyone was in a different band at the time that they. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> was your yeah. brother or did your brother still play? Uh, no, he, he's like a huge nerd. He's, he's like a PhD 
Dude, oh, wow. so <laughs> yeah okay but, uh, yeah he's doing i don't think he's played drums like 10 years probably oh i does not know if maybe you'd have him come on the record and you know play no my god yeah he can, i don't i don't know if he could play a double kick pedal so I'll that's a good point him. <laughs> i have to come in and just hit a snare drum <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cool so okay you were in another band was you you were in a band with your brother was that the band you were in when you joined prada yeah he had quit by then he was like doing I, I think he was playing in like marching band and stuff like that so mm -hmm. we had we just had some other local people um and then i was only singing in that band so i wasn't playing guitar i kind of mm -hmm. like lied about knowing how to play like metal guitar and stuff when i joined <laughs> yeah i had played metallica so i didn't know how to do anything so I was like, oh yeah man i can play all this stuff Let i got it in. so sure <laughs> Oh, wow. When did you learn to sing or when was that? Because you sing the clean parts of all mm -hmm. the Prada records. So is that something that you were interested in early on as well? Like, did you do chorus or choir or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I I guess when I was younger, just playing guitar with my dad and stuff, he'd be like, oh, you know, you should sing like this Stain song or something like that. Like, you have a good voice. And I was kind of just like, eh, whatever. But I, I was, so I was in theater and I was more on the drama side of it in high school and then just got pushed towards the musicals. And then they were like, oh, you're really good. You should be in the choir. But I definitely wasn't like the best singer at my school, probably not even like top 10. So I never thought it would be a career. Like mm -hmm. even when I joined the band, I, I wasn't even singing. Our old keyboard player had been singing some stuff and a uh, couple of the guys were like, oh, dude, we forgot you're in that other band. You're a singer. You should sing. Like, okay. So, <laughs> oh, so that's kind of how you, you ended up landing yeah. into that role. Interesting. Yeah. It was very like nonchalant. It's not like we had a plan for anything. Really. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you all didn't go to high school or anything together or did you? No, me and our old bass player uh, went to high school together. Um, and, and we were really, really good friends. Like um, we still talk like every day, even though he's not in the band anymore. But mm -hmm. so Mike, our singer went to, we all went to like basically competing high schools in the Dayton area. Okay. So um, you're all aware of each other in the same. Uh, yeah, age. kind of. Okay. And we, we, we just had a really strong scene that we kind of fell into that was existing before us and kind of continued after us of just like you know local hardcore bands and pop punk bands and stuff like that it was a very eclectic scene so mm -hmm. it would it would i think that helped us where we could just kind of jump on shows and stuff all the time you know mm -hmm. is that something i mean because san diego had a cool scene too when i was growing up i was, you're a little like a little bit younger than me i, I just i just based off what i learned on the internet um mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, I feel like, is that lost? I mean, I don't know. I feel like even in, San I moved to Nashville recently, but in San Diego prior to the pandemic, I, I don't remember there being a lot of activity in, in the scene there anymore. Like, is that I something think, that you see that still? You know, for like about 10 years, I think things kind of fell off. Like, you know, it would be really hard to find local bands to play on shows just because there wasn't really a strong scene and stuff like that. And then a couple of years ago, I think it was probably a lot of these bands like, um, say, Knock Loose. And, yeah, um, oh, yeah, I love that band. You know, all, all that kind of community of new hardcore bands really has brought it back. And now you can see just a huge scene almost everywhere now. So it's okay. kind of back in a cool way, which is awesome. 
That is cool. Cause like, I felt like it just kind of got lost. I'm like, wow. Like that was such a cool, important part of my life growing up and going to shows and seeing these bands. We had a handful of bands from San Diego that ended up doing really well. Like Pierce the Veil was a, I mean, they came out of there and a lot of great friends of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And lower definition was a band out of there. We had this little scene that kind of, uh, that was happening when I was undermined. Growing, growing, I think undermined. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's Nick in now? Uh, yeah, sleeping with sleeping sirens. sirens. Yeah. yeah okay. I love Nick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that band was rad. Undermined. They should get back yeah. together and do like a reunion. <laughs> yeah. Their drummer. Uh, their drummer plays it in flames now too. He actually filled in for us on on a tour last year. Tanner. So it's just a oh because Mike was in the band. Oh, but I guess when that when they got signed. He left because in the early yeah. version of Underminded, it was Mike from Pierce the Veil. Mike Fuentes oh, played drums. Okay. Yeah. yeah, San Diego so, is a small town out there. Oh man. yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and then when they were both getting signed at the same time, Underminded and uh, well, they were called uh, what the hell were they called? Oh, uh, uh, Early Times. Oh, called, okay. oh, Pierce okay. the Veil was called Early Times. And they were getting signed at the same time. And, and Mike was like, well, I'm going to play with my brother. So sure, he, sure. he went and, jo- and then they became before today and then Pierce the Veil. But yeah, it was such a cool scene growing up and seeing those bands play like these really, really small rooms. And then that's what I was wondering, like, is there this scene that's kind of doing that? But it sounds like it's back, which is cool. I think it is back, you know, like um, I can- uh, there's a bunch of like video sites and stuff. You can watch things that I will occasionally get on there. You know, it's like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's cool. Rad. So when do you guys start the band? Cause they were kind of going right from what I read. Uh, uh, Devil Wears Prada had a show or one show before you joined, right? Yeah. I, I like there. went to, I went to the practice and they had maybe let's say four or five songs put together. Okay. And so um, when I, jumped in they just had one guitar player so i kind of wrote the other side of the guitars let's say and then we wrote some new stuff together and then they had a show i had homecoming that's how long ago this was so i was like yeah i'm not gonna be able to i'm not gonna be able to jump on the first show and i came in on the second show and then uh our bass player came in i think on the third or fourth show so and that's your that was your you're a really good friend who yeah yeah i brought him in i was like yo you need to join this band man these guys are cool he's like i don't like that kind of music He, he only liked like punk and uh, black flag and stuff like that. So I had to kind of drag him in. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's cool though. Yeah. I mean, coming I'm, and I don't know if this is kind of an off the wall question, but I'm just curious because I've talked to a lot of artists that grew up through, you know, the church and the Christian music scene. Um, and they were kind of not allowed to listen to certain music. And it sounds like your dad was like pushing, like not pushing it, but oh, yeah. like, cool. with I mean, it. Like my parents really didn't care if as long as I was like not you know in trouble, they didn't really care about much of anything. Okay, so that's like, cool. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Rad. Okay, I was just curious. Um, yeah, because it sounded like if you're listening to Corn and Limp Biscuit and stuff, that you are definitely allowed to. We were we were exposed to that music. Yeah, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Okay. I've, that was kind of like weird when we did first make the band because you know everyone has their own idea about whatever anything is, especially with like religion and stuff. Sure. So you have people just like yelling stuff at you or say you know hey that's not christian that's not this or that or whatever and i was like okay (laughs) i I literally don't know you dude so (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's awesome when did the band so you you jumped in after that first show that's funny that Mm. uh the story of you 
not going for homecoming isn't something that they would write up. <laughs> so funny, man. Uh, yeah. You join, then you join. When does the band like? What's the first kind of big moment for you guys, or when does stuff start to take off a little bit? Um, we had uh, we had a really interesting series of events happen where we played this show um, kind of near us in Richmond, Indiana, and there was a band opening, or I think we were opening for this band, and they were kind of like a local hardcore band. And their drummer was this guy, Joey Sturgis, and he had been doing just little demo recordings for them. And he kind of handed us this demo CD and was like, hey, you know, you guys should, uh, you guys are cool. You should do a demo with me. And he, there's just something about the way this dude spoke. He was very approachable, just very chill. And so we were like, okay, cool. So we kind of rallied up some cash and went and made a demo with him. And then we used that to kind of send it out to a bunch of labels and, Again, just one of these weird situations, right place, right time. This guy, Craig, who had uh, Rise Records, the label, mm -hmm. was really ambitious and was one of the few people who was like really committed to signing kids, like just because he could sort of see this organic connection between younger bands and their fan bases. And so he's like, your MySpace is like blowing up. This is cool. I love the demo. You guys should go turn this into a record. And sign a record deal. So we did. And we went back to that guy, Joey. And again, it's just a combination of like these dudes that I was in the band with happened to be really talented. Uh, we had a really good local infrastructure and this guy, Joey was so good at recording, like so much better than everybody else doing local stuff with mm -hmm. really cheap, crappy gear. Like, at, <laughs> like your podcast stuff is probably nicer than what we were tracking with. And <laughs> he just, he had a really good ear. And, uh, so that kind of just, you know, exploded everything from there. So it was just right place, wow. right time. So it sounds like you had a, obviously some fans and stuff happening on, on MySpace. Yeah, we had our, our old drummer was really good, like marketing, um, mm. and just, you know, blowing up the band on there and training shows and stuff. And we had a good work ethic. I mean, you know, we weren't making any money from it, but we practiced like five days a week and play shows every weekend, no matter how many people were there. So mm -hmm. it was just, you know, eventually something's going to stick if you work that hard. <laughs> right. Right. Like, no, for sure. Yeah. Well, with, uh, getting on rise records, were they, I mean, a, a mass, I, I'm trying to remember when you would have signed with them. That had to be so what? It was 20, like 2005, I think 2006. And they, did they really, have a pretty big, I mean, they've released so many huge, you know, records. That's what I was curious to know. At if the time, were, not really. It was like, I think there were like four bands on there at the time. It was uh, Fear Before the March of Flames, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, and a couple other more rock kind of acts. And so, mm -hmm. um, I mean, if we would have gotten a million other offers, we probably would have taken one of them instead, but it just so happened, like, you know, Craig was super aggressive and like, Hey, no, really, you got your sign. Let's do it tomorrow. I'll pay for your record. And we're like, cool. So. Wow. That's was, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Just to see how far that label has come. I mean, I, I know you're not with them anymore and you're on a, an incredible label at sure. this point, but I know just to see how you know, to hear that there's only four or five bands on the label and then they've put out, you know, records with distillers and AFI and, oh, yeah. and these huge bands. Well, that was the cool <laughs> thing was um, Craig was so smart. He used, you know, these bands that may not have been his, I don't even want to say he, he loved all the stuff that we did. He's, he was li literally still is one of our biggest supporters, but he, he would use these things that were not exactly his wheelhouse, but that fans were connecting to, 
to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, fund bigger projects. And so by the time he had made it into this huge kind of like scene label, he could then do a bunch of other artists that he never would have been able to assign back then because just didn't mm-hmm. have the money for it. But now he's like, yeah, I freaking love Distillers. Let's put out a record. I freaking love this band. Let's put out a record. Right. So it's really cool. Like him and you talk about Pierce Vale, our booking agent, Dave Shapiro, they were one of his only clients when we signed with him. He's, he's from San Diego as well. Yeah, so, I know. Like, I know Dave. I know who he is. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know him personally, but I, I know I know the name. He's definitely a name in San Diego and San Washington Diego royalty. Then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> well, he's like, um, you know, he, the, all those people. They just were very hardworking, passionate, and believed in young artists. So that's how they all have a huge career now, honestly. That's so cool. That's so cool. Even uh, who you work with now with Solid State. uh, Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was in that with Tooth and Nail and in all early, early, early on as well. Brandon's the same way. Brandon and Craig have very similar personalities where they're like, of course, they're great business people, but they're way more fans of music than even the business side. And if, you know, if they sign you, they will be at every show rocking the heck out, you know, doing whatever. So it's cool. That's killer. That is so cool. So, okay. So you signed with Rise. Um, You you had that demo and then would you go re-record it or? Yeah, we, we re-recorded it and then we added maybe like three or four songs to it. And that was our first album that we kind okay. of launched with. Wow. And that did obviously really well. And from, from there, like what would, I mean, you've, you guys have put out a ton of records. I don't know. We could, I could spend all day with you talking through all of them, but I just, <laughs> what would you say? Like, you know, what are, what are some kind of key moments that you can remember from those early days that kind of kept, kept the ball going forward for you? Um, Again, just like we, we never turned down a single tour. So very mm-hmm. early, like one of the first things Dave did for us was get us on a series of shows with uh, Silverstein and like oh, our singer cool. and our singer was in high school still at the time, Mike. So we were like, we can really only do kind of a weekend and he can kind of, you know, skip school on Friday and Monday, but that's it. So they threw us on like four shows of that. Um, and then we, we did a tour of Chiodos pretty early and then, um, we kind of just did a lot of touring and then because of all that touring, um, alternative press was pretty killer early. Oh yeah. You had a, you got a huge thing from them. Yeah. It was like, I think we did a live band of the year. So it was like a thing you could vote in back then of like, you know, bands for different categories. And so we won their live band of the year, which was huge to us. Cause we were like, we like making records. We like playing shows more. So that's kind of one of those moments. I remember just being like, okay, this is really. And you did you a know, cover, happening. right? Weren't you guys on the cover? Yeah. The, which is yeah. like the most massive thing <laughs> ever. Right. Yeah. I mean, that magazine, it was it, that was the mm-hmm. thing. And then you know, obviously the online version, um, I interviewed uh, John Nolan from Taking Back Sunday a while ago, and he was yeah. telling me like, you know, they had a cover and stuff and like how huge that moment was. And then he remembers his, but the big moment for his family was like when they got like recognized in like the local paper, like the local oh, paper yeah. is like, you know, <laughs> Taking Back Sunday does something. And his parents are like, yeah, that's cool that you did that one thing, but you're in the low, you know, the local paper. <laughs> Long Island Times or something. Yeah, yeah, like so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, that's so funny. Um, I think I, everyone from these towns has that same story where it's like, you just never thought it was possible. And 
who would believe in you. You know, it sounds like a psychotic dream to kind of do it. Even with an athlete, if you're killing it at college, everyone's like, I could see you going pro, but like no one ever thinks the band's going to work. So when it, you know, hits those massive levels, it's like, it's just kind of cool, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) would you, you guys got signed when you were still in high school? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that must've been, what was that moment? Like that must've been huge, especially to other kids that you knew. In no, school it was nothing? only cool to us. No, really could have cared at all. Yeah. Mike That's was crazy. Talking about like he would go and play these shows and you know, there's like 2000 people there at some, uh, so we're seeing show and they come back in school and people are like, what's up loser. And it's like, really dude. <laughs> <laughs> <So funny. laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it was kind of, it was more of an alternative scene back then, especially our kind of like metal core niche. It wasn't very mainstream. So nobody at school really cared at all. You know, that's crazy. That's so crazy. And do, okay. So from there, like, when did it become like, so you went basically from high school to this is your full-time thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I guess it, 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 it was really organic looking back on it now. Everything just kind of seemed to happen as it needed to. So right yeah. when, you know, we started needing to make some money to pay for a crappy apartment. Okay. You know, some started okay. coming in. And then uh, uh, another thing, I guess, was the war Tour. Like that mm-hmm. was just, I remember specifically there was one year on warp tour where on the side stages were like us pierce the veil all time low august burns red bring me the Horizon, data remember and all these bands that like you know we were on the side stages but we all had the biggest crowds of the day right and so yeah it was a very changing of the guard moment where like you know all these guys who are my age now like mid 30s we were like 22 then and you mm-hmm. could feel kind of the shift happening to this new generation. So that, that, that was a huge reason that all of us still have a career playing music. It's just building those relationships with people every summer. Cause you didn't even have to know about like heavy metal. Most of the people going to warp tour were not like metal heads or anything like that. Right. It's just like normal people. You know? And it was so just then, a thing. It was just the coolest thing to do in the summer. Cause you could see, so many bands and from i mean they're all in in the similar lane of music but it was like you could see an, an old band you could see this new artist you could see and it was just it, the way kevin lyman did it was just so brilliant it was a genius and he really he i learned a lot about work ethic from him because many people would have just stepped back as an investor but that guy was out there radio on move mm-hmm. into that stage now you know totally connected <laughs> so, you can't let That's up. Cool. I mean, like, you know, especially when you're running a, a, a music business, like all of mm-hmm. us are, like, it's 99% like strategy and phone calls and stuff like that. Very little like playing music, you know, you get done mm-hmm. with the music. It's like, well, now how are we going to get people to hear it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. This could be the best record that no one's ever going to ever hear. Yeah. Yeah. So that's wild. Do you, I've only asked this question to one person before um, and I just thought of it again. So I'm curious. Do you remember the first time that you guys had to do an encore? Um, And was that weird? Like, okay, guys, we're going to have to actually leave the stage and then come back (laughs) out. (laughs) I I can't remember. No, but 
it still is. I mean, we literally, we're, we're a weird bunch, but we always will be like, if no one asks, we're not going to do it. Cause there's nothing more cringe <laughs> than when you're like, okay, I guess the band's done. You're kind of going to get your coat. And then it's like, Oh, they're coming back out. Like no one even asked for it. So right, right, right. Oh, you that's always funny. have to wait for kind of, kind of feel it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, okay. I, I want to get to obviously this new record and mm -hmm. the, the EPs that you're touring because you didn't have a chance to, right? I mean, you put out sure. zombie and then was that before, did you write that during the, it was before the pandemic, right? It was, it was during, it was mostly during. So we kind of okay. had the idea for it. Um, I think we were kind of, we knew we wanted to do it. We thought about doing it before our last album. And then okay. just because the music had the, was sorry, real quick. So the act had came out and you were, were just to set the stage here. Where were you when March hits uh, of 2020 and the world shuts down? Like, had you the act was out and you had a chance to promote it? And were you on the road during that? Or like, tell me yeah, where so you were prior to that. I guess what happened was right before we did the act, we kind of had to sit down and we were like, should we actually it was in San Diego. We were on our tour bus in San Diego. We had our whole team there outside of Soma and they were like, okay, we see two paths, you know, you can redo a zombie EP or you can do a new album. We all feel like you guys should do a new zombie EP. And we were like, no. <laughs> so we, got, <laughs> we just, we were like very burnt out. We've been, you know, grinding for a decade plus at this point. And I think we kind of just wanted to try something different. And so we just totally hit the drawing board, made the act, put it out. It was the first thing we had done in a really long time that people mm -hmm. really liked, which was cool. So we did a tour on it. And then the next spring we were going to do a tour with, we came as Romans that was going really well. It, it was really well sold tour and the new songs were going off. And it was really our first time to play them in front of everybody. And then the shutdown happened. So oh, it was kind of wow. like, okay. Okay. You know? So then, I mean, I think we probably took a month off and then just started working on the EP and, um, you know, so Zill came together during that kind of time of exactly. what's going on. Ex Got you. So it was kind of like, um, it was weird. Obviously it was COVID. So I, I live in Charlotte, um, two of the guys live in Kansas city. Mike lives in Milwaukee and our drummer lives in Pittsburgh. So it was very much like sending stuff back together digitally oh, wow. and then all kind of driving you know, to <laughs> Kansas because you couldn't really fly. So, uh, but I think it's kind of cool. Like it, it worked out that way because we didn't do a huge like campaign for it. We really just dropped like, Hey, a month from now, there's going to be a new EP. And so oh. that was really like hype moment kind of thing. So that's cool. Uh, and was that scary, but <laughs> was it different? Where Was that the first time you guys, I would imagine worked that way too, where you have yeah. to kind of, it's actually, I think it's a lot better. Like, you know, sitting in a room and jamming stuff together can be productive, but it can also be really unproductive. You get um, kind of brick walls often and, and people get frustrated and they're trying to force their ideas and stuff. So I think working off of a laptop is a little better way. We've done that a lot too. Honestly, our first zombie EP was kind of like that, but mm -hmm. uh, it's, I just think for every project, everything's different. You know, there's no standard. Um, COVID is just the next thing that happened that changed the way we did it. But then we actually like doing it that way so much that on our new record, 
um, we just went and rented an Airbnb for a couple months and just recorded everything but the drums out there. And then we just got a studio for like a week to do the drums in. So, oh, wow. And were all the parts for the new album written like away from each other similar? Um, or kind did you of get so together in the Airbnb and we did. We jam. rented a couple of them. So we did. Uh, John, our keyboard player, um, wrote uh, most of the music for the album, and so he kind of just you know cook up a bunch of stuff, send them over, and then we met up. Initially, we met up in Wisconsin for like a month on this kind of lake. Ha- no, it wasn't a lake house. It was near the lake, but um, mm-hmm. and just kind of tracked a bunch of the early singles from that. And then uh, after we went on tour last fall, we spent basically up until Christmas Eve um, at a house in Palm Springs, just in the desert. Oh, right. And it was it was cool. It was like a, we just built a vocal booth in one of the guys' bedrooms, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, just, me especially for doing vocals. Mike and I have been working with with John, our keyboard player for like over 10 years now. So we just have a very organic, like trust in mm-hmm. him to kind of get those performances out of us. And both of us take direction really well. It's like, mm, that one sucked. We're not going to get like offended or anything. <laughs> no, like yeah, exactly. I was going to get hurt. <laughs> yeah. So that, I mean, it, it was much better doing it that way because very quickly we could work through ideas and then they were printed and done. So we didn't have to drive like a ton of studio equipment stuff out there to the house, but it was fun. So, and those all made the record, like all those takes. Yeah. The whole record is from those Airbnbs. And then the drums were at a studio. Well, at a studio. Really just wow. It. So it was Palm Springs. Uh, did you say Milwaukee? Where was the other one? Uh, on Lake Oshkosh in Wisconsin. Okay. I Wisconsin. Know, whatever this lake is. Yeah. There, so yeah. Wisconsin, Palm Springs, or the, where, where the actual record was recorded in, yeah. in Airbnbs. That's crazy. Yeah, it was cool. So we did everything there. And then we work out of this studio in Kansas City often. So we mm-hmm. rented that for... Um, a week and just did all the drums at the end of the record there. So, okay. Wow. Uh, I did see on your Instagram that you, you know, you posted about the record and you said, it's the best thing that you have done, you know, ever. <laughs> which yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. you said since death throne, but that's it. saying that, I mean, tell me, you know, obviously it, you guys put uh, so, so much work and, and everything into this album. Like what, what, like what were kind of moments that you were like, wow, like this is really, this is going to be insane. Um, I think, you know, every time you make something, you feel like as you're making it, that it's good, that it's probably your best stuff. That's part mm-hmm. of the creative process. Sure. But then when you reflect on it, if you're really brutally honest with yourself, you can tell if it's something on the top tier stuff you've done or just something. Okay. Mm-hmm. And songwriting wise, it's just light years ahead, like of anything that we've done, just you know, John is such a crazy songwriter. And the other thing is that him and Mike, the honesty that they brought from a kind of mental health perspective um, is just so raw. And I think, especially how old are you? I can't remember. I'm 37. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 34. There's this weird feeling in your mid thirties when you have all of these past traumas that really define your existence. And yet you have to figure out a way to go to work. 
and, you know, live your life and, you know, do the things that you're supposed to do and, you know, have your family and your relationships and stuff. And so when you're a kid, it's really easy to just delve into that stuff and not have to figure it out. But now, I mean, it's like too late, like we're old, you have to deal with it. And so I find these moments when you're like alone driving in your car on the way to work or, you know, on the way to the gym or something like that, you, you can connect to this emotional state that you have to repress most of the other time. And these lyrics feel like a really direct connection to that, that can speak to sort of an honest experience. So that that's part of the reason I feel so strongly. I think our best music is when Mike is very personal with the lyrics. And I know I attach my own meanings onto them as I deliver it to where, you know, hopefully it should hurt to sing it the first right. time because it's so real. So that's kind of why I feel. And then also there's just a lot of cool breakdowns and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, too. no, but so, wow. It, it's interesting <laughs> to hear you, you talk about that. Cause it's so true. You do in your mid, like, uh, you know, in your early thirties start thinking like, Oh wow, that's why my, I did this. Or like you start putting these pieces together of your life and why certain things may have happened a certain way based on, like you said, traumas or, or, or things that have happened throughout your, your existence. It's, it's bizarre to like, you know, hear you say that because it's like something I never really thought about until you just said it and like putting that well, kind of together. You know what I mean? We had this like round table meeting before we made the record and uh, it was just kind of went around and said, like, what are your goals, each person for like the record? Like, what do you want to accomplish? And the one thing I said was like, I want to be able to build a connection with people kind of in the same way we had been doing with our song Chemical. It was Mm -hmm. a really rare moment. You know, we're an aggressive band and most of our show is like mosh pits and things like that. Sure, sure. And so it is such a like contrast moment where I just started to feel this super crazy connection with the audience during that. And then people would DM me stuff and be like, you know, that song is everything to me. And it's totally different than everything else we do. So I wanted to make sure there were some of those moments still in there where it's like, not like a break away from the heavy aggressive stuff, but just a different level of emotion that you can't really access in the aggressive sense. And so I think we did both things on it. Like we have a new song coming out on uh, next Tuesday that's super aggressive, but the lyrics are very, you know, about struggle and, and trying to figure things out. So that, well, this this will be out by then. What 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 was or after that point? What what song are you guys going to put out? I'm just, uh, it's called. Oh sweet, it's called Time. So oh, okay, um, yeah, it's it's very uh, it's funny because it feels fun. And it's really energetic and it's really aggressive, but the lyrics are super depressing. And so there's kind of this like mental juggle that we have a lot, and that we've noticed in music that we really like, where it's like why am I like laughing along to this really dark topic? You know, right, so right. it's kind of, it's a fun feeling like that, I guess. Very cool. Would you say that any of the, like, did the pandemic have any effect on the record? Would you say? Probably, um, you know, yes. In, in, in sort of an indirect way, I guess, just because of that way we learned to make records during the mm-hmm. pandemic, um, it opened up, the ability to not have to think about thing. It, it just really like took away our ability to do what we wanted. And so it kind of made us more flexible and like, 
that's not how you make things. You kind of just have to, I now explain it as like riding on a surfboard. Like you're, you're not trying to do the best. You're just trying to stay up on this thing. Cause mm -hmm. if your goal is like perfection or success or any of these things, you can't guarantee those, but you can kind of try and stay up. So everything that would happen, you know, we recorded maybe like eight songs of drums very early on, like in last July and something happened and we couldn't use like over half of them. And so mm -hmm. we just redid it, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Okay. <laughs> we'll just redo it. So the pandemic definitely shattered that way of thinking of like, Oh no, it's like, of course, of course but, that right. would happen. Like every day is something bad. Happens. Some different mindset. I like that. Uh, well, that's amazing. And you're, you have a, like I said earlier, you have a big tour coming up. What you guys start in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. I, I leave on Sunday to start rehearsing for it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's coming up right now. <laughs> that's exciting. And you're doing, uh, you're playing. I'm just, like I said earlier, you recently, I'm recently moved to Nashville. So I saw you're, you're doing a show here. I'm excited to. Yeah. Yeah. Have we'll that. have to kick it, man. Yeah. Yeah. That'd, that'd be, be cool. great. That'd be Actually, so Actually, the best show on the Beartooth tour was in Nashville at that Wild Horse Saloon or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah I know. Dude, that's so that's so rad that you guys played there. I saw that. It wasn't able to come, but I have a six-year-old and oh, he nice. hip-hop dance and his like dance recital was at the Wild Horse Saloon. Oh, you're saloon. kidding me. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw that you and I had we when we first moved to Nashville, he kind of got onto it pretty quickly and then he did the recital. Uh, and it was there last year and this year. And then, uh, so I hadn't, we hadn't been to it when you guys did the Beartooth tour the second time, but I, I was like, is that the same? And I looked it up. I'm like, wow. Like, yeah, it's such yeah. a rad room. Cause I always wondered, like, I wonder what they book here. Cause I never really looked too far into it. They do just, a lot of like, uh, line dancing and stuff. I was talking to the guy when we were in there. They so yeah. do a lot of line dancing. Stuff. Just, I know to see your name on that, on that bill at that venue. I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> <how> random. <laughs> I like, I like being down in action though. You know, cause it's like all my friends that live in Nashville and that they never want to go to Broadway or anything down of there. Course. So it's kind of fun to be like, you have to come and you have to talk. Exactly. Yeah. It, Cause it's right there off Broadway. It's a trip though, too, because it's on that street that got bombed. Yeah. You know? oh, so crazy. like, you know, you look down the street and it's just like still like in wreckage. It's yeah, it's got yeah. a weird kind of vibe, but that's it's a cool venue for sure. That's so fun. And when I saw that you guys play there, I was like laughing just because I'm like, huh. <laughs> like it's a huge room. It's a rad venue. It's super awesome. But then to see the type of show that you guys would bring there to me just sure it's funny <laughs> well it's really funny i'm like thinking about that now and like thinking about these shows coming up there there is one thing that came out of the pandemic it was it was a, a, an intentional break you know like we had to stop mm -hmm. and i think every band was kind of burnt out you know it's non-stop it's a grind you, pretty much if you stop you're dead and so mm -hmm. um it was nice to kind of stop that and then come back to it now and i, I definitely have this now, when I think about every show on a tour, you know, we'll come to Nashville. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking about all the shows we play in Nashville. Oh, we're going to Chicago. Oh, I'm thinking about all the shows we've had. I'm just, there's a euphoria with playing concerts now based on that history that I couldn't quite see right before the pandemic because I was so disillusioned to it. You know, right. like, oh, great. Here's another show. Another Not show. I like it, but now I'm like, yeah. oh my God, like a show. This is great. Because it yeah. was taken from everybody. We were, everyone was so like, what is, yeah. you know, what's happening here? So that's oh, yeah. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much, man, for taking time to hang out with me today. I really, really appreciate it. 
Totally. Please um, get get in touch for Nashville and let's hang out. You know? Oh, that'd I would awesome. love that. Yeah, that would be so much fun. I'm I'm going to hold you to that. I'm looking. Let's see the date here. You, you're playing Nashville September 6th. We're going to do it. Sure. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I have one more question before I let you go. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Uh, yeah. I mean, just literally work hard. Um, you know what your value is. Never let someone else, you know, define that for you. Um, I guess just stay true uh, to what those values are. And then, yeah, just work, work, work. Um, and then one other really cool piece of advice I've been given recently is um, if you start employing the trash can method, which is basically write everything for the trash can. Every time you're writing a song, consider it disposable. And then you'll be really surprised about what comes out of that. You know, you could write like 10 songs and they're so precious. And then the first time somebody hears it, they go, eh, I don't like it. You're going to be so bummed out. And like, it's really going to hurt your feelings. If you're writing everything for the waste bin, you don't care. You're like, oh, that doesn't matter. I'll just write a new one tomorrow. You don't like that one? Okay, what don't you like about it? I'll change it until you do. So treating your creations as less precious and more disposable can actually make, it's kind of like meditation. You know, when you meditate, you're supposed to let the thought come in and let it go. Let your creative ideas come in, record them, and then let them go. And then you'll be surprised which ones you come back to. (laughs) 